Welcome to Relentless Truth with John Warren, the podcast that extracts truth from a wide range of topics, revealing who God is, who we are, and how we relate to each other. Now, here's John with this week's powerful and practical insights. Welcome to Relentless Truth. It is good to be with you again. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. As you know by now, if you've been with us for the last year, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Or you can also go to johnwarrenmedia.com for more information about our work, including the work of my company, CFS Financial, that is Christian Financial Solutions, which works with nonprofits all over the country, Christian schools, churches, and parachurch ministries primarily, and some for-profit companies from time to time on matters ranging from financial consulting at large to debt reconciliation, debt negotiation, and that is becoming increasingly important during these crazy economic times. I would imagine we are headed toward a recession if you've been with me through this podcast for any period of time and following the economy, you probably know that the Fed is continuing to raise interest rates and attempting to create what is called a soft landing to calm the economy down gently. And that sometimes works and sometimes doesn't. I record these episodes well in advance And I have just learned that, and this will be old news by the time you hear this, but just learned that inflation was at 9.1%, meaning consumer prices uh, rose by 9.1%. Well, we are, enough about that, we we are uh, making our way through Romans. In a couple of weeks, my friend Charlie Parrish, uh, Pastor Charlie Parrish, from Foothills Community Church in Marble Hill, beautiful Marble Hill, Georgia, will be back with us to talk about the state of the church. So I'm looking forward to that that conversation. The church, uh, he's just returned from the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, and we're going to talk about the, uh, the SBC and the PCA and other initialisms. No, I mean, seriously, uh, the the big denominations and the drift of the evangelical church at large. I think you'll be encouraged as strange as that sounds by that conversation. So last time we talked about uh, Romans 12, we're in Romans 13 and this is kind of a weird thing to say because I do plan these episodes, but I'm going to try to get through these last four chapters of Romans in two episodes I'm never quite sure how far we're going to go uh, because we're surveying and I'm accustomed to teaching this material to very smart high school 11th and 12th graders, as you know by now, at Circle Christian School in Orlando. And um, I'm accustomed to moving rather slowly through the material. We take an entire school year to cover this book along with an apologetics textbook called Understanding the Times, written by the folks, uh, Jeff Myers and the folks at Summit. So today we're in Romans 13, and I'm going to just jump in here. Uh, if If you're a student of theology, a student of scripture, you probably think of Romans 13 as the the government uh, chapter, at least the beginning of it. But there's there's a lot of beauty here. 
and and Paul pivots to a very practical notion that he's going to talk about for a couple of chapters, and that is not causing each other to stumble. Now, that is often misunderstood, as you know. So I'm going to hopefully address what we know and don't know, but I'm, I'm going to try to do it carefully. And I'm stuttering because I want to be careful as we talk about this topic. We sometimes think that that means don't ever do anything that anyone could ever blame us for, or don't ever do anything that a person could use as an excuse for sinning or an excuse for some habitual behavior. And we're, we're going to try to be sensitive, uh, even pastorally helpful as we talk about those things. So let's dive into Romans 13. Paul, uh, this is God's holy word. Paul is writing to the church at Rome, this beautiful epistle, this compendium of theology. And he gets to this point where he's talked in Romans 12 about how the body of Christ is to function. And he's talked about this renewing, this refurbishment of our mind. And then he pivots and he says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, I know it's hard to imagine this, this time period, but this would have been jolting for the church to read. And I I know you probably know this, and I know some of these things we say as we survey these chapters are very simple, but especially for students of theology. But if you remember, the Jewish people had been exiled and had returned to Rome. They were exiled for this this uproar, this this stirring that happened in Rome that they were creating over the crucifixion, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It was Christ himself who had caused in his, his life, death, and resurrection, and, and ascension for that matter, that had caused this uproar. And so Paul is suggesting, even though the government had exiled the Jewish people previously, that every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. Now, I also have the pleasure of teaching another class at Circle. I teach two courses, and and they, it's kind of complicated, but not to explain here quickly, but in the first semester, it's U.S. government. Second semester is economics. So that's one class, kind of, is the way I think of it, although it's two you get the students get credit for each semester separately. And then I teach this, this course, this apologetics course that I mentioned earlier, where we walk through Romans. Well, we talk about Romans 13 in, in both classes. We, we teach at circle from a distinctly Christian worldview. And I talk about uh, Romans 13 in the government class. Everyone is to submit to the governing authorities. Now we're going to, we're going to read the rest of this and, and, and talk about what that actually looks like. And we're, we're going to do it a little imperfectly because Paul doesn't quite tell us every little detail of, of how, to, how to do so. But I will say this. These folks, and no offense, if well, I, I might actually intend offense. If you're one of those people who says, oh, I can evade my taxes. I, uh, you know, I... I don't have to, to. I don't have to render to Caesar, and that doesn't mean that. And 
taxation is theft and blah, blah, blah. No, it's not. It's not theft. I know a lot of, well, I know a few people who, who say that it is. No, it's actually not. And is it redistribution of wealth? You better believe it is. Is it perfect in the United States? No. No, are you paying for things that you don't agree with? Yes. Are you paying for things that you don't use, services, products, places you don't use? Yes, you are. But you favor some redistribution of wealth. Yes, you do. You, you like to drive on roads that are good to get from point A to point B, don't you? When you dial 911, you want someone to show up, I would imagine. You want utilities to come to your home. Un- unless you're like a friend of mine who wants to go build a compound in western North Carolina or northeast Georgia where he can sustain himself with underground bunkers and all the rest. Unless you're one of those people, unless you have that capability, you favor some redistribution of wealth. We all rely on government services one way or another. And so this this notion of of taxation being theft just isn't true. It's parts of our taxation are are poorly contrived, poorly developed, poorly thought out, or I can even say inequitable, but the system isn't horrible. Now, what is horrible is that Congress spends more money than it takes in. They pass taxes on you that they don't have to vote on by spending more money than they take in. And what I mean by that is there's all this talk about inflation. I mentioned it a few minutes ago. And and inflation is really a tax on the middle class, if you think about it. It's a tax on the poor, too. But it's, but it's really harsh. It's a punitive, unfair tax on those who aren't wealthy. The wealthy can stand it to go to Publix. That's our supermarket here. Um, and and pay double. They can they can tolerate that. They can they can absorb that. I don't like it, but they can absorb you know the cost of a week of groceries doubling from I don't know a hundred dollars to two hundred dollars or one hundred fifty to three hundred depending on the size of your family. The poor cannot. So yeah, there 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 are some things about the way our government governs that we don't like, and and the way we solve that is we get involved in the process. But, but we're subject to, government has authority over us. If you're a United States citizen, the government has authority over you. If you don't believe that, you go to one of these, I don't have to pay taxes seminars, and, they, and the IRS eventually finds you, and they will, finds, F-I-N-D-S, and finds, F-I-N-E-S. But if they find you, they locate you, they're going to pursue you, and if you resist them, you're going to go to prison through a thing spelled out in the Constitution called tax court. Anyway, I'm on a rabbit trail. I'm going to go back to the text now. Therefore, verse 2, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger 
who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now, you can take this section and make all kinds of arguments. I get it. You can talk about, you know, there's so much in the press now about bad police officers. And, and, and I understand that there are some. I believe they are few and far between. I believe that they largely live, have chosen a profession that requires them to live self-sacrificially. They are putting themselves, by putting that uniform on and getting in that car, if it's a marked car, they are putting themselves in harm's way for the rest of us. They are. It's that simple. Now, you can say, oh, but they stepped on Floyd's neck. You know, this one behaved badly. That one, you know, they shot a guy 60 times last week who was unarmed, although he was armed in his car and apparently fired from his car. And, and, and you, can, you can critique, you can, you can get all the body cam video you want to get. You can, but, but, I, but I would suggest this. And I, I'm not excusing sin. I'm not excusing bad behavior by a, a few people. I'm, I'm not even excusing them. But what I would urge you to do, if your community has one, is go sign up for, and I think that you have to do this in advance and they have to check you out to make sure you don't have anything in your background that would make this a dangerous thing for them. But they, they, they have these ride-around programs where you can ride with a police officer. They at least had these in years past. I don't know whether they've stopped it or not in your community, but check it out. Check out ways to get familiar with what these people who are police officers actually do. And this passage is talking about a lot more than just police officers. And I know you know that, but they're, they, they just come to mind as I read this. And ride around with them. And I'm going to tell you what you'll find if you've never had the privilege of doing this. One, they work hard. Yeah, there's a lot of riding around and it is incredibly boring. One of the problems they have is that everybody thinks when they're on the road, they have to go five miles below the speed limit when they see those lights on top of a car nearby. And so it's difficult for them to navigate. I know that sounds strange. And, and if you get to ride with like a sergeant or somebody in authority, somebody in charge of the shift in your town or in your county, you'll be amazed because that radio is going all the time. And if you're in a relatively big city, a, high, a, a heavily populated area, whether you are or not, and you can do this at night, there's, there's usually a little more happening at night. And I've gotten to do this uh, through my banking career. I did do several of these leadership programs you might have heard of, usually the chambers of commerce of various Communities or counties have these programs where you you pay a fee and and you your company nominates a couple of leader up and coming leader types and anyway you get to you get to have a different day in different parts of government and in different parts of the economy and and one day you have a you have a criminal justice day and usually you get to uh, and I've had the blessing of doing three of these programs and uh, over the years over many years and and you get to you get to go to the county jail. You get to you know ride around with a police officer in some of these programs. You get to see you get to see how they live and how they work. And 
And I'm telling you, you go from zero to 60 in a hurry. You go from chatting about, oh, so what do you do for a living? How's it going? What do you think of that? You know, and how, how does this work or that work? Asking all your questions to an announcement on a radio, lights go on, the accelerator goes down and boom, you're live. And in my case, there was a guy on a porch with a shotgun and there, and there, there was a, on his home porch uh, and uh, he was intoxicated and there was a young deputy behind his door with his gun drawn on the guy. And we drove up, I was with the supervisor and we drove up and the, and the supervisor says, there's a gun, there's a nine millimeter Glock in the glove box right there. Don't pull it out unless you need it, but just in case he starts shooting and you need it. And I just start trembling. And, and he, he went out and he called him by his name. He knew him. He'd obviously been there before and had to talk to him for a few minutes. But he said, put the gun down and everything's going to be okay. And the guy put the gun down and I guess they, the other guy arrested him and did whatever. But there, soon before that, uh, not, not long before that, we got another call that a guy on a motorcycle had been decapitated. He ran into a semi-truck hauling steel and the officer I was with had to go look at the the scene and before they put him in a body bag and he came back to the car and he said, have you ever seen a person without a head on? And I said, no, thankfully I haven't. He said, would you like to? And I said, no, no, I really wouldn't. So, so I stayed in the car and I could go on and on. I mean, there, there were other things that happened that, that night and in these other ride around experiences. So I, I would encourage you to do that. I do realize that it hurts to, to get pulled over for speeding or it, it's, it's no fun. You know, in my case, I, I, a couple of times over the years, I've gotten these notices in the mail that I owe a fine for, and there's a picture of my car or a video even nowadays for not stopping at a, at a red light, uh, rolling through it as I was making a right-hand turn. I, I understand that those are painful moments and I understand that police officers can have bad days and I understand they can be grumpy and uh, even cruel, but for the most part, they're trying to do a job and that job protects us and we're to submit to them. That's what this scripture says. And, and it even goes further and it says in verse two, therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. They are ministers of God. Governing officials are ministers of God that God has appointed. Those who resist will incur judgment. Yes, you will. That's how the world is set up for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Now I know some of you are immediately thinking, well, what about dictators? Does this work other places in the world? Or is this just a passage for the United States of America? Well, of course it works other places in the world. And we wrestle with those things. There's tension in that, isn't there? You get a bad dictator. You know, the most efficient form of government is a benevolent dictatorship. The problem is the dictator doesn't remain benevolent for long. That's, that's the challenge, usually. Or that guy dies and his son takes over and he's not so benevolent. So, in any case, the, the, there's God, God appoints authority and, and we are to submit to authority. That, that goes against our nature. I get that. It does. Submission is not something we do naturally. All of Islam, and I'm not advocating for Islam, is built on submission, on submitting to Allah. And, and there's, there's just tension in that, isn't there? Now, that's, 
that saddens me because no, Allah and the true living God of the universe are not the same. But scripture, the Bible, Paul's epistle to Romans tells us to submit to the governing authorities. They're not a threat to good conduct, but to bad. Now, how on earth can Paul say that? Because God ordains the authorities. You know, believe it or not, people are happy in other countries throughout the world, aren't they? You might hear of a country where things are a little tougher, but there's blessing in that. If you've had the blessing of traveling, then you know that. Canada, for example, is not this socialist cesspool that the press sometimes paints them to be. I know they have challenges. I, you know, Germany is not this hideous place. France is, is not this caricature that, that we paint them to be. Many South American countries would be great places to live. Many Central American countries would be great places to live. It is possible to live a good life in Mexico. Now, do some of these places have tremendous challenges? Yes. Are we blessed in the United States of America? Absolutely Yes, but we're not better than them. And God doesn't favor us over them because somebody put in God we trust on our currency. Now, God has blessed the United States of America. He's chosen to bless us. I believe to the extent that we, that biblical values are reflected in our founding documents and in the way we execute our judicial system and so on, I believe God does favor those things. I believe he blesses governments that are obedient to him. But we're talking about something else here. We're talking about submitting to the government governing authorities. And we are to do that. And he goes on, he says, would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid for he does not bear the sword in vain for he is the servant of God an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection. There's that word again, that the idea is submission, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. You know, I, my wife and I, and I probably shouldn't tell you this story, but we, a couple times in our lives, we've had these little skirmishes with the IRS. And, and one was years ago with this nanny tax thing, because we had a, a sitter for our daughter and we got sideways with them over uh, some fee or something. And, and I tried to write a letter representing us and got my CPA, our CPA to write a letter and, and we lost. Well, well fast forward 20 years ish. And now we have a 2018 issue over not a ton of money, but our CPA failed to report something that he was uh, aware of and it was a it was a mistake that I should have caught when we signed the uh, the return we didn't and we've been trying to correct it during this covid period. we've been trying to say okay we owe the taxes we want to pay them uh, we'd like not to pay too many penalties and too much interest but glad to do that too can you tell us the amount and and they can't do it covid has if you if you're involved in the world of the IRS you know that covid has resulted in truckloads of paper tax returns. That's right. In 2022, 
truckloads of paper tax documents sitting in their parking lots and and being unattended to. You might have experienced something relate, you know, caused by this with them. Their communication is crazy. I mean, they're, they're, I shouldn't say crazy, but it's 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 erratic. There's a you know one one week we'll get a notice that says you owe this much, and next week says you don't owe anything, and and the next week we get a check, and and it, it's just been a, a nightmare to resolve. But I will say this: getting an IRS notice when I get that envelope in the mail, it just it just creates something in my conscience. It just makes me think, oh my goodness, I've got to settle this. Our CPA has called them ten times written letters, done all kinds of things to fix this. And we're, we're, we're right there now. We're finally, I think we're going to receive one more notice and pay it and we're done. But that's how we had better live, Paul is saying. And then he goes on and says, for because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. So yes, Christians are to pay taxes, pay to all what is owed to them, taxes who taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed, and so that's how it works. Uh, uh, that the Paul Paul isn't pulling any punches. He lays this out rather clearly. We don't have an option now. Can you can you vote new people into Congress? Sure. Can you get involved in campaigns? Yes. Yeah, are we responsible for voting for the right? Yes, but but it's kind of like serving on a board. If you have the pleasure of serving on a board of directors, if you if you work with my firm, uh, if if you hire us, uh, uh, CFS Financial to to do that work, I'm going to tell you that when you have a board vote, and 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 a certain say say you have seven board members and you have a four three vote, which is really unusual on most boards, but say you do, when you leave the room. It is as if the vote was unanimous. So, so get involved in elections. Care about government. You can sign petitions. You can, you can demonstrate peacefully. You can, you can drive to Tallahassee if you live in Florida, D.C. for matters that are federal. Uh, your capital in your state. Your county seat. You can engage, engage, engage. And I think that's great. If you really want to engage, engage at the county commission level or the city commission level or the mayoral level, but, but engage, that's fine. But after you've engaged and the election is final, don't do it. And I'm trying not to talk about January 6th, but, but don't, don't pout. Don't say, I'm not going to support this government. Don't say he's not my president. No, he's your president. You, you like it or not. He's your president and he's my president and we are to support the government. Now, I know I've probably ticked some of you off. If you want to send me your refutation, your argument, don't hesitate to. I want to be gracious with all of this. Uh, you can send it to john at johnwarrenmedia.com. That is my email address for this podcast. I'm happy to read it and respond to you. So that's uh, Romans 13, verses 1 through 7. Now, listen to the rest of this. This is, this is beautiful. And I, I hope I haven't lost you with uh, my rant here about government. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor 
as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. It is all about love. And, and I, I know some of you, you know, and I can think of some pastors even who say, oh, you can't teach that way. You're going to turn them into your listeners into antinomians who don't care about the law and don't care about rules. And no, not really. If you love well, if you love correctly, if we love biblically, we don't have an issue with antinomianism, this going against the law, this anything goes, this hyper grace. No, it, it, we only love because God first loved us. And he says, oh, no one, anything. It's, it's cool, isn't it? The way he, he he's, he's talked about the government and pay, pay the taxes that are owed. And then, he, and then he transitions and says, oh, no one, anything except to love each other. You know, don't be deficient in anything. Uh, but love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Okay. Moving on. Verse 11. Besides this, you know that the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed the night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light Let us walk properly in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It is time, Paul says, to wake up, Christian. He's talking to the church at Rome, but it applies to us. It is time to stop the nonsense. It is time to love well, and we do that by putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision from the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, he's just told us about the gospel. He's taught us about justification, this crediting to our account, this imputation of his righteousness to us by faith alone in him alone. And then he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Fight the flesh. Don't allow, don't gratify the flesh. Oh, that we could do that. It gets in the way of our love. It's just, this is just beautiful, this section is. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I, I, I get so, you know, another rabbit trail here, but I, I get so tired of people saying, well, if, I, if you just love yourself, then you can love, you know, you know what? You love yourself just fine. And I know some people do struggle with that. And some people struggle with the past and guilt and shame and, and, and having been mistreated and, and, and bullied and, and abused even. And, and I, I get it. I know what they mean. Come to grips with the fact that God loves you. That's important. You have value. That's important. But by and large, we love ourselves pretty well, don't we? It's loving the other person that is a challenge. Loving our neighbor as ourselves, Caring about our neighbor's need, the other person's needs. Don't, don't think of your physical neighbors, obviously. Think of just other people without the hope of reciprocity. That's what agape is. Without 
contingency without, oh, I'll do this for you. You know, don't be a scorekeeper. You did that for me. We have dear friends, uh, Paul and Libby Bess, and they are, uh, they are incredibly cool in addition to, in, in addition to being our good friends. We're, we're their weakness. How's that? And I mean this and, and, and just every area of their lives. And I, I know they, they must not be perfect, but they said last time they came over, we like to have dinner together and they came over a couple of times in a row, you know, without our going over to their house. And, and uh, they said something like, Oh, it's your turn, you know? And, and my thought was, Oh no, 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 we don't, we don't, we don't. And they don't keep score. That was just a comment. It's just a gracious comment by good friends. But my thought was, well, no, there's no reciprocity. We, we could do this at our house every week or two. And, uh, there's no reciprocity because we love them and they love us. And it was, again, it was just a comment. It's probably not the best example, but there there's this, there's this notion of, of loving unconditionally, loving without keeping score, loving without reciprocity. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. If you find yourself taking advantage or doing wrong or thinking about your needs only and not loving your neighbor as you love yourself. You really have to focus on Christ and his love for you, his rescue. Go back and read Romans 3 and read those 14 counts of sin. Recognize who we are. Remember we said knowing who man is, who God is, and how God relates to man is just critical to all of theology. Go back and think about that. I I like to go back to these foundational, these radical, these root truths, and think about who I am in the context of the gospel. And I believe this is what scripture means when it says we are to preach the gospel to ourselves. Recognize who we are, the amazing nature, the amazing event that we call salvation is not to be taken lightly. Think about that and, and think about then loving your neighbor because you are first loved. We do it imperfectly. You know, if you wait around on just having the perfect loving technique where, you know, you, you, you send beautiful thank you notes to everyone for every good thing they do and you say just the right thing. And I know people like that. They say just the right thing. When I say it, it sounds clumsy. It sounds like I'm dragging one of those iron stiff rakes across concrete sometimes when I try to be gracious and loving. But just do it. Paul doesn't say, wait till you master it and then employ these skills. No, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say, wait till you're perfectly eloquent. Nope. Wait till your neighbor's in just the right mood. Nope. He says, just do it. So I hope this has been helpful. This is a beautiful section of scripture. It's fascinating to me that in this chapter, and I realize Paul didn't have these chapter divisions, but in this section of his letter, he transitions so beautifully from obey the government to don't owe anyone anything except to love each other. He's telling, he loves this church at Rome and he's telling them how to live. We get to eavesdrop on the apostle Paul giving just good advice, good godly biblical advice to the church at Rome, given all of their issues, their idol worship, the Jewish people having been exiled, their struggle with why does the gospel go to the Gentiles and all the other issues you know about if you've been with us from the beginning. He, he, it, it's, it's just beautiful that he does this. Well, 
we're, we're, we've reached chapter 14 and I'm going to dive right in. And I, I will say that this is, I would call this a difficult but beautiful chapter. So I'm probably going to do a little less commentary here, uh, but let's read it and just see what it says. Chapter 14 of Romans, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So this is that person who is weak in the faith. They might not know theology the way you do. They might not speak the same language. They might struggle with legalism, moralism. They're weak in the faith. They might not know all the Bible stories. They might not know doctrine at a deep level. But and, and you don't need to treat it like, and I can't stand these debates where a Christian says, I'll stand on this side, you stand on that side, we'll have, invite an audience in, and I'll make you look silly. No one leaves those debates going, oh, you know what, that Christian guy made a lot of sense. I think I'll convert. That's not how it works. Don't quarrel over opinions, he says. And, and you know, Christians, we do this, where... We act like because it's in the Westminster Confession or some other confession or some other document or it's taught at our church or, you know, we be careful with that. And make sure we're scriptural, biblical. Anyway, verse two, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Hmm. So are you telling me that vegans are weak? Vegetarians are weak? I don't know. Let's see what Paul's saying. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. For the Lord is able to make him stand. You're taking a role if you go correcting others, if you spend your life correcting others. And boy, is social media full of this. I'm, I've been guilty of this. You make it your business just to go correct everybody. Who, who are you in, in these matters, these matters that require discernment, these matters where, nah, hold your breath, you're not going to like me saying this, where both the person who eats and the one who abstains could be right? Before God, is Paul saying the heart attitude, the attitude of the person, the perspective of the person is what's important? I think he is. Now, you can talk about alcohol. You can talk about all kinds of things here. But there's a, there's a powerful lesson here. God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? You remember the parable where... All the guys are working and they, they come in at different times of the day and they all get the same pay and the, the guys who have been working all day have a fit because the master paid the, you know, th- that's what he's talking about. But Paul is taught, it's the same concept here. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? We've gotten so far away from that in, in America. We talk about equity and equality way too much. Yeah, I said it. We talk about equity and equality. I, oh, they, they, they get paid too much over there, and I'm a, a, a blank. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a white man, and, and, and there's reverse discrimination. Or, or I'm, my skin is this color, and there's an issue. Or, or I'm this gender, or I identify as, oh, I love that one. I identify as this, and, and, and I'm being persecuted because I don't make as much money as you don't get. You know, I, I know it's countercultural, but, but 
who, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And, and we do need to be fair. I, I understand that concept. I, I, I know part of loving our neighbor as ourselves and glorifying God is to be, is to be somewhat sensitive to equality, very, very sensitive to racial equality and those kinds of things. And even, even sensitive to equality for sinners who sin in, in terms of struggling with gender, gender identity and sexual preference and all the rest. Yes, we are to be gracious and loving, but this in America, we tend to pass judgment on servant of another. We violate this section in Romans 14 all the time. One person, verse five, esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Ooh, I know some people who argue about the Sabbath today. They still do. Now, they don't understand the Old Testament law and what if they're really going to if they're really going to enforce all the rules of the Sabbath, they're going to they're just have a hard time functioning. But but they do nonetheless. And I, I've I, I've got to be sensitive to them. This says each each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord and the one who eats eats in the honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. I enjoy vegan restaurants, vegetarian restaurants. I do. The food is really good. I hope you've tried it. Those of you who are carnivores, I hope you, uh, I hope you try them. The food's really good. Um, but Paul says that's not the point. The point is to honor God with our lives. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. We belong to God. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and of the living. Why, verse 10, do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. If you think about that, you stop pointing fingers, don't you? We struggle with this. And, and, and now Paul's going to pivot here to, to this notion of stumbling. And this is, this, is, this is also beautiful. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. So, so don't stop this nitpicking, I believe is what he's saying, and, and care more about causing another person to stumble, care more about their spiritual growth, about their, their becoming Christ-like, growing in God's grace. Verse 14, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Now, there's a great ethics lesson here. A great ethics lesson. This, this black and white world that we like to distill this world into, Paul says, no, don't, don't. Conscience matters. And we don't have time to develop all that, but, but read chapter 14 of Romans and, and uh, you'll, you'll see how beautiful this, this notion is. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, 
You are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Does that mean that if you have a certain person with certain convictions over, you eat or drink differently with that person? Yes. That's what it means. In the privacy of your home with your family, you, you, you can pretty much do what you want. There's, there's some constraints on that, but you know, against drunkenness and other, other things, but and you don't want to, you don't want to pollute your body with unhealthy food, but, but you can do what you want. But, but yes, you might have, you, you, if you, if you have someone over who has certain convictions about certain things, those convictions matter. You know what else is implicit in this? We have to know each other. We have to invest in each other our, in our community. We have, to, we have to know other people. You don't just say, oh, I heard of the Smith family at church. I think I'll invite them over for dinner. That's fine to do, but, but make it a point to get to know them so that you know these issues. Be sensitive to each other. Don't let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Verse 20, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. This is a powerful lesson. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Does that mean you lie? No, it doesn't. But we don't cause each other to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. He's going to go on in verse 15 to say, we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. The strong should bear with the scruples of the weak. Did you hear that? This, this is just a beautiful, important lesson. I hope this has been helpful. We have not explored the depths of this text, but it's just beautiful. These principles, these are biblical principles that are difficult, that are challenging to, to, to live out, but we're responsible for doing so. And there's, there's peace in this. As I, as I read these two chapters, I get just a sense of peace because we learn through the Apostle Paul what God has ordained for us. And it's not the way we like to distill it. I grew up in a legalistic setting. I'm talking about churches, youth groups, schools, and so on. And, and I thought, wow, righteous people all do this. Unrighteous people pretty much all do those other things. And, and you can't say you're righteous and do those other things. You're a hypocrite. And the Bible talks about hypocrites. Well, this section says that's not true. Now, now, sin is still sin, isn't it? So something that is clearly wrong is wrong. But that's spelled out in Scripture. This eating and drinking, we, we love to, I mean, you, we, could, we could have a discussion about marijuana, 
uh, THC. We we could we could have we could have discussion about CBD. We could have a, a lot of discussions around social issues that are impacted by the truth in these two chapters. The point is something much harder. The point is that Christ is all and in all. Our self-sufficiency is our sin. Our thinking we can we can have authority over, influence over, pass judgment over the slave of another, the servant of another, in Paul's words. The problem is our hearts. And we don't like to talk about that. We like to conform, give me a set of rules so I can wake up every day, live by checklist, and I'm good. And, oh, can you believe they are so disgusting? I saw that person drinking alcohol. Gasp. Or... I saw that person eating meat or that person is a vegan. And, and, and you know, I, I'm not going to say who cares because I, I think some of those things are important and moderation is important. There's a lot of, if you're going to talk about those very specific issues, you've got to be careful with that. And I realize that, but Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I, I want you to love each other. I want you to love each other like you love yourselves. And, and I, I want you to realize that Christ is in all put him on put on the lord jesus christ and make no provision of the flesh to gratify its desires it pains me and i'm sure it pains you to see the ministry where and and you know you find out the the it, maybe maybe the the person is legalistic and there i think of a couple who've just fallen and and one one has been dismissed from his church and his ministry and his his radio ministry and his podcast and he's well known and this this seems like this happens about every six months, and 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 you find out oh no he's having all kinds of sexual sin and all kind you know it it's this obsession over legalism while we're violating things that we know in scripture are wrong we're not putting on the Lord Jesus Christ and making no provision of the flesh when we live in sexual sin we're not so. I hope you'll read Romans 13 and 14. Read it for what it is. Look, look at what it actually says. I, I know sometimes if there, there are these mysteries and, and you say, oh, I don't understand. And what does he mean by conscience? And what if your conscience is poorly informed? And uh, a lot of, lot of philosophical issues here. But, but read it for the beauty that we can read and comprehend. Hopefully the way I just did in this podcast episode. I hope this is helpful to you. If, if I... Somehow I'm causing you to stumble right now as you hear this. I hope you'll send an email to me and give me an opportunity to recover. I sometimes say things clumsily. I sit in my office with a microphone and a mixing board and I ramble on about these passages. And sometimes when I listen back to them after Josh Brown and his folks at his productions get done with the post-production work, production and post-production work, I sometimes cringe because I said something clumsily and I didn't even realize I said it that way. So please forgive me if, if with these delicate subjects we've, we've caused you some concern. I hope you'll send an email to john at johnwarrenmedia.com or go to the website johnwarrenmedia.com and use our contact form to send a message. I try to reply to all of them. So I hope this is helpful. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say next time we're going to finish the book of Romans. And I realize we're moving at a fast pace for some of you. Others are probably saying, why does he ramble on? I hope I ramble on because of the beautiful truth here. So Paul's going to wrap up his thoughts. 
in uh, chapter 15. He kind of says goodbye with lots of personal acknowledgments in chapter 16. And then we're done with this book. Again, in two weeks, we have uh, Pastor Charlie Parrish coming back for, I think it's the fourth time. And, you know, frankly, I'd have him on every week if we could work it out. He's been such a blessing. And we're going to talk about the state of the modern church. I am burdened for the evangelical church. Many of you, and I see this with my students sometimes, many of you struggle to find a good Bible preaching, teaching church that just kind of resembles, maybe it's not perfect, but it resembles the New Testament model. And it's a shame what passes as church, as a church nowadays. And, and uh, Charlie's going to address that. And it's, it's, uh, it's beautiful. There's, there's drift, not just in major denominations, in non-denominational churches, in Bible churches, in independent churches, in all the major denominations, in all of them. There's drift that goes on. There's cultural drift in our society. And, but there's, but, and that just happens. And I, I accept that. I don't like it but I accept it. What I don't like is this drift in the church away from good doctrine, good theology. Thank you for supporting Relentless Truth. I say it every week and I really mean it. I get a comment. It seems like God provides one or two every week to encourage me in this work. And I am incredibly grateful for you and for your uh, listening and uh, telling your friends, please share this, send an email, go to the website and copy the uh, the URL and and send it to your friends in emails or texts and ask them to listen if you find this material valuable and I hope that you do. So until next time, uh, please like, share, review, and subscribe to Relentless Truth. You, f- you can find us wherever you go to get your podcast or go to johnmoynemedia.com to more uh, learn more about our work. Thanks for listening to Relentless Truth with John Warren. Please consider sharing this podcast and subscribe to receive future episodes. Connect with John regarding your comments, questions, and show ideas through johnwarrenmedia.com or at John Warren Media on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. That's all for this episode. Join us next week for another edition of Relentless Truth with John Warren.